Buying your first home is so exciting, but let's be honest, it's also overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, first you have to figure out where you want to live. Then you have to figure out if you'll be approved for a loan. Then you've got to think about inspections, closing costs, insurance, and property taxes, all on top of making the offer and hoping they accept it. It's a lot. But lucky for you, our friends at League Real Estate are here to make buying your first home an incredible experience. In fact, LeagueRE.com slash close is your one-stop shop for anything related to buying your first home. We're talking advice on mortgage lending, how to calculate your monthly payment, access to incredible agents, and so much more. So if you feel overwhelmed by everything that goes into buying a home, rest easy knowing the incredible people at League are here to help guide you through it every step of the way. They're here for you and ready to serve. So again, that's LeagueRE.com slash close for the absolute best home buying experience. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nowhere Close to Famous, where we have extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. I'm your host, Josh Story, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brooke Seal. Hey, people. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode because we get to sit down with a fellow Aggie. He he's a proud Aggie, proud Aggie, which I've never met a shameful Aggie. That that's true. <laughs> Most of us are pretty proud. Yeah, he was so grateful and humble. He's quick to give credit to other people. Yeah. I this is my first time meeting him, yeah. and I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, because uh, we got to sit down with my buddy Reagan Thompson, um, who I, th- I think has a very fascinating story. He's a quadruplet, uh, and I learned that out of the gate. And our conversation like went away from that, yeah. which tells you how interesting he yeah, is. Yeah, totally. He's accomplished a ton. Uh, he has just a really fat, fascinating story, a story of risk and being bold and uh, chasing dreams and stuff like that. So we had a ton of fun talking to him. I hope you have a ton of fun listening. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Reagan Thompson. Reagan Thompson, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate you uh I mean, you you don't live here. You live in Stephenville. I do. I so, do. Wait a second. Uh, how far th- is that? This is a long drive. Mm, it's 50 minutes. It's not too bad. What a pal. Know, Way right? to go. I, I love you already. <laughs> we need to get you out to Stephenville, by the way. Yeah, Brooke would love she would Stephenville, which that's a okay. great place to start because I did want to ask you about Kona. So you, so you grew up in Stephenville. Small, like, Stephenville to me is sort of like the definition of... Uh, I feel like I said this a lot. I said I, I, we talk about a lot of small towns on here as like the <laughs> definition of like Friday Night Lights. But Stephenville, I think, is very unique. It's a really cool kind of quaint small town. Tell us about Stephenville really quick. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack about Stephenville. But um, so where Stephenville's position is is about an hour southwest of Fort Worth. Okay. Uh, Thirty minutes south of Granbury, and that is where I grew up. That is where my dad grew up. That is where my granddad grew up close to. We'll get into that maybe later, but he ended up walking to Stephenville with a couple dollars in his pocket after the war, starting three companies. And so from from my dad's side of the family, that's definitely has a lot of strong roots. Yeah. Um, Mom grew up in the Valley, but growing up in Stephenville, like Josh kind of said, it is very much like Friday Night Lights. I mean, the town shuts down when we have a football game. Um, Art Browse kind of brought us back on the map as far as high school football is concerned. And, you know, if I had to, like, give a very brief overview of Stephenville, I would say that anybody would give you the shirt off their back 
Totally. And like just really good people and values is what's left in Stephenville. Mm. And now you're seeing an increase in population coming from the Metroplex and from people out of state who want to move there. They don't, can also commute to the, the Metroplex. But sure. you've also got Tarleton there, Tarleton yeah. State University, part of the AM system. They're in, their enrollment right now is about 14,000 students. Oh, um, wow. That's increasing to about fifteen to 16,000 the next three years. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where home is and where we grew up. So <clears throat> this all ties in. Another fun fact about Reagan is he's a quadruplet. No, you're not. I am. That's so, amazing. <clears throat> so, one, I think that... In my mind, it wouldn't be hard to be a local celebrity in Stephenville just as it is. Because, <laughs> for, yeah. because one, I saw that in your dad. So Reagan's dad was the, the county judge for how long? Like 28 years. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And the first time that I was in Stephenville with the Thompson like crew, we walked into Jake and Dorothy's, which is, is Jake and Dorothy's still open? Yep, still there. That's what amazing. is Jake and Dorothy's? It's the most classic small town diner you'll Stop ever have. It. The best chicken fried steak oh. of all time. Yep. I have to go. You have I'm, to go. Yeah. I'm going to Stephenville this weekend. And they can, like, people <laughs> can on. still smoke in there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, shut yeah, your mouth. The first time I walked in, like, I'm like, it reeks of cigarettes. <laughs> You're smoke. like, did I go through a time machine? Yeah, no, it's literally like going through a time machine in the best possible sense. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But I remember walking in, and Tab is like walking around, and like everyone's like, hey there, Judge, hey there, and like, I mean, Tab just knows. Everybody. Everybody. So very. I was like, "Wow, small town celeb." Yeah. That's fine. But then here's here's another story, and then we're gonna talk about Reagan. But this is all building up to talk talk about him. When I was doing music stuff, I did a radio tour, and one of my stops was in Stephenville Perfect. at KSTV, the mm. Mighty Ninety Three. Mighty Ninety Three. Come on. And y'all were friends at this time because yeah, this yeah. is during college. So, yep. Yeah, we met in college, and uh, and so I went and did a couple of radio uh, spots there, but. But I go to the Mighty 93, and I walk in there, and I'm like there to promote my single. I'm there to talk about <laughs> my, my my career. Yeah. Legitimately. Your the, artistry. Right, totally. Yeah, totally. The only thing they wanted to talk talk about was the Thompson Quads. <laughs> was that you knew Reagan. Yeah, no, honestly. It yeah, was like, and that you're like his friend. I walked in there, and I'm like, they're like oh, hey, we got Josh Story. He's a, you know, a, a country artist. He has a new song out. But... Uh, you actually know the Thompson boys. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. They go, oh man, I remember. Uh, uh, was it like not? It was the it was the game before the state championship against Highland Park, right? That y'all like won. That was like a big deal. Or no, y'all almost won. Yeah. yeah, Stafford was like on that team. Yeah, with so Jevin Sneed threw a pick like the last couple minutes of the game. Um, they drove down another 20, 25 yards, kicked a field goal, and won the semifinal game. Then they went on to the state game and won like. Five or six touchdowns. So, that, so Matthew Stafford, yeah. That was really the state game. Yeah. Is totally, y'all, totally. As, as y'all in Hunt Park. Yep. But <clears throat> all they wanted to do is talk about the Thompson quads. That's amazing. Um, so with that, was that was that your experience? Like, did y'all kind of feel like local celebrities? Because one, you were in a small town, but two, there were four of you, and that in and of itself was Man, really that's, wild. That's a really good question. And um, you know, what I would what I'll say is for us growing up, mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know that it was a big deal unless we left Stephenville and we would okay. go eat at a restaurant in Fort Worth and the waiter or waitress would come by the table and be like, Oh, whose birthday is it? You know, like we're having a birthday party. And it's like, no birthday. It's just us. Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? It's like, Oh, well they're all brothers and sisters. And they have this like puzzled look on their face. And they're like, uh, so like twins, it's like quadruplets. They're like, Oh, quadruplets. <laughs> and so, you know, the bottom line is, is that Stephenville 
is still a small town. You know, 33 years ago, it was obviously smaller. Yeah. But there was so much of the community that really helped us and helped my parents. Mm. Um, my mom had this like color coded, if, if she knew how to work Excel, it would have been like this perfect Excel table <laughs> with all these yeah. feed times. But like she had this poster board with all four of us and feed times like broken down per the hour. And Hilarious. you can imagine trying to feed like four newborns at once. And yeah. so she would have people come to the house and rotate to help feeding. And so in many ways, no. like community members, yeah. obviously yeah. that knew my mom and dad would come sure. in and help us and they wanted to be a part of it. Well, growing up, it's like, Hey, like, Hey, there's the Thompsons. And like, yeah, that, like that was it. So it, w- nobody made it like a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, and it was very normal. Yeah. But like I said, not until we got out of Stephenville or went to A&M and I started to tell people, yes, I've got two other brothers and a sister the same age as me. Yeah. And they're like, wait, so like quadruplet? Yeah, quadruplets. <laughs> and they'd be like, dude, I've never met a quadruplet. And so... Until this moment, I had not met a quadruplet. Yeah. yeah and you know, yeah. my mom and dad did a really good job, I think, of making that situation as normal as it could have been. Totally. And, you know, I have three kids. So okay. six, four, and one. And they're all about to be seven, five, and two. So their right. birthdays are about to hit all about right now. And I can hardly even think sometimes. <laughs> so I can't imagine. Like if you were all seven, I would die. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine <laughs> for it once. And I remember I made the mistake of, so with our first kid, you okay. know, going through the the stages of a first child, bringing them home, yep. going through the sleepless <clears throat> nights. Yep. There, there is no way to prepare for that until that happens. Right. Yeah. And I remember calling my dad, uh, I don't know, second or third night of no sleep and kind of up and down. And I was like, man, dad, like, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm frustrated. You know, Lindsay and I aren't getting time together. My wife's Lindsay. Yep. I want to talk about her later. Um, <laughs> she's an angel. Oh, and, we'll work that in. Yeah, she's an angel. Um, and I said, like, dad, this, this is nuts. And he was like, bro. He's like, try four kids at once, man. He's like, don't call me. He hangs yeah, up. No, hundred percent. Like after that, I was like, dude, I'm done with any sort of sympathy. He's for coming, him. Like, like, coming with Lindsay has triplets. Yeah. 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 But, um, no. So I have sister Kayla, uh, brother, Patrick, brother, Daniel, Kayla is in Lido. Patrick is in Houston. And then Daniel's in Denver. Kayla actually just had twins and she has a two year old. No way. So, and I had like told her, um, early on to kind of encourage her, which I love encouraging people, but I was totally. like, Kayla no big deal that you're, you have twins. Like, it'll be awesome. Two-year-old <laughs> and twins, you've got this. I, you're a queen. Like, looking yeah. back, I would rather have had, you know, our two last at two, two at once. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the same stage. No, dude. No. <laughs> no. I take she that back. She wasn't taking that. Yeah. She taking and that. so she had the twins, and it was a miracle that they came out healthy. And yeah. um, the bottom line is, is it is a lot of work. Yeah. And Kayla looked at me the other day, not too long ago, with like no sleep for the past two days. And she was yeah. like, you're still wishing that you had like <laughs> twins? Totally. I'm like, nope, no, I took yeah, that back. Totally. So anyways, um, it, it was very unique. Uh, we're all very close. Uh, we're a minute I, apart each. Um, yeah. You know, wow. Kayla is one of the toughest girls that I know, like period. She would up have around to three be. Boys. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Like we tell people uh, growing up when, when you lose teeth, like your baby teeth. Yeah. I think we accounted, we saying the boys uh, knocked, I think like 80% of her teeth out <laughs> uh, uh, I, and on the trampoline, yeah, like totally. karate, uh, <laughs> like throwing the ball in her face. Yeah. Like, and Oh, I bet she's such a good sport. Oh, I bet she, she's so much fun. Oh, she's the sweetest girl. Yeah. And then you get her on a sports field and, and she just all turns bets it are off. Yeah. She broke a girl's arm in college. No way. <laughs> broke her arm. Flag football. No. Yep. 
That's so competitive. She Amazing. That's yeah. I, I could talk about just the quadruple thing for forever. The only question I'll ask, and we'll see where this <laughs> takes us, is growing up with three siblings that are exactly the same age as you within a minute, and you all bear resemblance to each other, mm-hmm. did you ever, like, did any of you feel, like, the need, or did y'all ever, like, act out or, like, attempt to be really individualistic of, like, oh, screw this, I don't want to be identified with my other three siblings, like, I'm going to go down my own path, or were y'all all, like, kind of had a pack mentality of, like, it's us against the world. That's a great question. I would say the <coughs> latter. Uh, yeah. Uh, early on, mom and dad could have made the choice of, hey, we're going to dress them the same. They're all going to wear the same clothes. <laughs> totally. You know, at, like all four of them lined up just wearing the same thing. All their names are going to start with the same letter. Yeah, and yeah. they decided against that. Like literally at the hospital, I think. It was like, hey, we don't want cameras in here making this a big deal. Okay. Um, we, you know, um, we're happy to do a story for the hospital, but like they're all their own person. Yeah. And that was the theme growing up was like. Cool we were each individually made a very distinct way, yep. but we absolutely have, were a one team type That's of a cool. unit. And there were several instances growing up, um, where, you know, we would rally around somebody. Yeah. And, um, you know, somebody was having a bad day or somebody said something hurtful or a situation they're going through and the other three would be there to help pick them up. And th- yeah. there were some times, you know, people will say, Oh, are y'all telepathic? And it's like, no, we're not telepathic, <laughs> but, but, totally. but, but there are some times where I will call somebody, yeah, Kayla, Patrick or Daniel, and I'm saying, Hey, how are you? Like, I'm just thinking about you and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going through X, Y, Z. Um, cool. and so the last point that I'll make is, you know, looking back um i like if you're if if i'm a quadruplet like it's it was awesome to see looking back of what a blessing it was to grow up with three siblings the same age as you in a wonderful household and i look back and you know for like for me it was very normal like that's that's all i know yeah but to have three other siblings the exact same age as you go through the life stages together it was yeah. kind of like wow we had a built-in ecosystem like no totally. matter what yeah, yeah. you yeah. know and because oftentimes if you're spread apart you know it's like it's hard to relate to the other sibling sure yeah. so yeah. we i mean we didn't have that it was awesome yeah well, that's cool yeah. i bet boys were so intimidated to date your sister they were. Um, <laughs> they were. Dad's a judge. She has three brothers. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there was this one time where we were shooting guns in the backyard, and Kayla got As picked one up does. on a date. Yeah. And we all went to the front door holding our guns. It was awesome. And we knew the guy. I mean, yeah. it was all yeah, good sure. fun, but, like, we had to go do that. But the message was sent. Yeah. yeah. Totally. That's awesome. And I think, too, like, there was a sense of not – I always I always didn't want to let them down. Like, okay. I, like, I uh, – I love them so much and I would do anything for them that like before I would take an action and it involved us four or even yeah. just me on my own, I wanted to make them proud. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to take care of them. So, that's so cool. it was awesome. Yeah. Man, that's neat. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's an absolutely incredible family. So I got to meet all four of them because they actually all four went to A&M as well. So one of the things that, that I... That just proves that y'all really were as tight as you say. The yeah. fact oh, yeah. that like oh, yeah. at the first chance where you could have separated, you all stayed together. That's unreal. Yeah, that's it, cool. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And there was no question about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's neat. Well, and one of the things that I've always respected about your folks is that you think about all the big life things, right? Y'all all turn 16 at the same time. Y'all all have to, like, like, how do you provide cars for four kids at one time, right? Yeah, totally. And then, like, y'all all go to school. Y'all go to <laughs> college at the exact same time. I mean, it's just nuts. But selfishly, I'm glad that y'all all went. Uh, 
quick story about us meeting at Texas A&M. There's this thing called fish, fish camp. TC has broad camp. I'm sure okay. everyone else has a camp that's just like yeah. a freshman orientation thing. Yep. <clears throat> so I went to fish camp. Absolutely hated it. Hated every <laughs> minute of it. My, my personality is not the fish camp type sure. personality. I'm not the kid who's like showing up and being like, yeah, yeah. Just like, totally. like it's all like big, fun, loud. Like it's just you're just meeting all these people. And I, I just wasn't having it. Yeah. And I had a really horrible, like, not horrible experience. I just didn't really put m- myself out there. But I came back saying, yeah, it was the people in my camp. Like, the people in my camp are just weird and awkward. And, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're, there just wasn't anyone cool in that camp. Um, and that was, like, my story for a long time. And then I started making friends. And I met all these amazing people at school. And I started asking, hey, like, what, like, what fish camp were you in? And I kid you not, like, probably 60 to 70% of my friends were actually in my same camp. Like not <laughs> like not at camp at the same, same right. time, like in our little tiny group. And I had legitimately no idea. And one of those people was Reagan Thompson. And so we, we were in the same, same camp the whole week. Never met. I had no idea. But ha- so how did y'all meet? We met through. Okay. So Clayton Jones. Yeah. Uh, uh, shout out. Alumnus Should of the him. podcast. Uh, so when I started <laughs> I'm living, such a fan of his. so, awesome. so when I first started living with Clayton, Clayton was your roommate freshman year. Yep. And, uh, which we met at Texas boys state. Okay. And I don't know if you know what that is. Yes. There's a new documentary about boys. State. <clears throat> I know I haven't seen it. I don't want to watch it cause I'm sure they try to, yeah. maybe they're not, maybe they're not, maybe they try to you slant had a great that experience. a certain way. My experience was good. Yeah. And All my friends that did it, that I went to school with had a good experience yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah if you have any sort of uh interest in politics specifically texas politics go it's awesome yeah um out of thousands of dudes there clayton and i met we were in the same kind of city which is kind of how they break down the groups yeah and clayton and i instantly became pals having met both of you even though i've only been talking to you briefly that makes so much sense to me <laughs> dude when we lived together sometimes there was so much excitement it, 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 it was almost like you know, i always had a tim dude it, yeah. and it was like it was almost like sometimes we had to like take a step outside the room yeah to like decompress <laughs> but when we're both at 10, man, it's... All bets are off. It's on. I love that. I just had like five different stories flash through my head of Ray and Clayton both being at a 10. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, and here's the other thing about CJ, Clayton, is we, we would go float the river, uh, yeah. the Frio River in Concan. Again, yep. like thousands of families go and float the river. Yeah. If you haven't done it, you have to do it. Okay. And we were driving to go like put into the river uh, with all of our inner tubes and somebody's like Reagan Reagan and we're driving down the road and it yeah. was Clayton <laughs> and he drives up he's like what are you doing man he's with yeah. his family yeah. and again we ran into each other and so you know it was like what are the odds of that yeah and um so um yeah boy state was cool going back to yeah that. so y'all met there and then decided to become roommates at college we decided to become roommates I believe pretty shortly after Boy State. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of like, hey, you're going to AM, I'm going to AM, let's room together. He's like, cool, let's room together. Perfect. Yeah. And it, it worked out good. Um, and he met Patrick and Daniel there, obviously. Patrick okay. and Daniel went to Boy State too. And I'll, I'll say this kind of going back to our quad uh, conversation earlier. When I think about kind of the guy that I am, yeah, very much so 
Kayla, Patrick, and Daniel had an influence on that. Sure. And specifically growing up around them until we left the house at, at the age of whatever, whatever the age you are. 18 or whatever. 18, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> like, uh, extremely grateful for that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. So you go to A&M. Um, one of the things that is really unique, I think, about your college experience is you were a yell leader. Mm-hmm. Now, people that don't go to A&M don't really know what that is. And so we're going to have to get into, like, you know, the weeds. But I do think it's a really fascinating college experience that most people have no idea about. So, one, break down, like, what is a yell leader? How do you become one? What's that process like? Mm-hmm. Good question. So at A&M, you know, A&M used to be an all-male, all-military school. Right. And um, a yell leader, from a very simplistic standpoint, is an ambassador to A&M. And you are the face of A&M if you are elected. <clears throat> and, you know, at A&M, we don't have cheerleaders. We have yell leaders. And it's okay. five guys that are elected by the student body. And it's an extremely heavy weight that's put on you because sure. it's over a 100-year tradition that's passed down to make sure that you're going to be, you know, the, the right ambassador for A&M. Because everywhere you go, once you're elected, people view you as A&M. Yeah. And um, about 5% of what we do is games. And so on TV, you know, you see those guys dressed in white. Yep. And they're doing these motions, <laughs> uh, which it, you, you, don't, you won't understand it unless you go to a game and see it. Yeah. Or you go to a midnight <coughs> yell practice and see it. But essentially, the entire um, um, audience uh, and students are watching the yell leader on what they do. Yeah. And there's a series of yells that have been passed down for over 100 years. And based off of your movements, that is what the crowd is yelling. And when 106,000 people are yelling that all at, at the same time. At your command, too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, really, really neat deal. Um, as far as how you become a yell leader, um, you're elected by the student body. That's a big deal. Yeah. And so my uncle actually um, was a yell leader. And so okay. uh, he's class of 78. <clears throat> Growing up, um, you know, I heard Uncle Joe talk about his experience and what it meant to him. And I never was one of those guys who, uh, like we grew up going to a ton of A&M games. Okay. And I never was one of those guys who looked down there and saw the yell leaders at either midnight yell practice or a game and said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to A&M to, like, to become do a yell leader. Yeah. But from a young age, I understood the weight of what those guys carried and the responsibility that they had. Sure. And so I always, I, and I, and I always kind of thought, well, how did those guys get in that position? You know, oh, they were elected. Well, what did that look like? Sure. And what are their stories? And, you know, how are they impacting people around them? And so fast forward to A&M, I had a fantastic freshman year and um, met a lot of incredible folks, like incredible folks. That's cool. And there were times where people out of the blue would say, hey, man, you would be a really good yell leader. Mm. And I just, I didn't think a whole lot about it at the time. And yeah. kind of as freshman year progressed and got into sophomore year, um, you know, a couple more people said that, and I, I, I just kind of, uh, I, I like leaned back and kind of, uh, you know, thought, okay, freshman year and sophomore year, kind of here's what's taking place. Yeah. And there was something in me that said, hey, man, like, put some thought into it. 
yeah. and lean into that. And sure. so I did. And when I did and reflected on that, ultimately I thought, man, I'm going to jump into the arena and give this thing a go. Yeah. And I was not in the core. I have tremendous respect for the core of cadets, um, but I was not in the core. And so essentially... Is that usually a big piece to becoming a yell leader? Well, so you've got... You've got the core on campus, and then you've yep. got what's a non-reg. So if you're a non-reg, you're not in the core. Okay. Um, There's about, what, 2,000 p- people in the core? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. that many? Yeah. That's huge. It's a lot. Yeah. Sometimes it's big. up, sometimes down, but it's it's around 2,000. That's more than the town I grew up in, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and they essentially have a voting block. So okay. uh, basically what happens is, you know, they'll put up some candidates, five candidates. You've got two juniors and three seniors. Um, so you have to be an upperclassman. Yep. You've got it. Well, if you're going for the junior spot, you run your sophomore year. Okay. And the camp. So if you're in the core, you basically have the core throwing their weight behind you to help you campaign. Sure. If you're not in the core, you're just starting from scratch. And so, so you're starting like 2000 votes down essentially. Yeah. Which is not exactly where does, you want to start. Does someone have to um, like promote you, like put you up for candidacy? Like you can't put yourself up? Well, in the core, they have core block. Yep. And so that's kind of their own internal process to get to the point to where you can run for a yell leader and then they throw their weight behind you. If you're not in the core, anybody can run. Yeah, there's, okay. There's a couple of um, – any guys can run. There's a couple of um, grade levels. Yep. I couldn't tell you what that was. <laughs> I'm, I wasn't the best student. So I, if I can do it, like I think anybody can do it. But um, <laughs> but essentially, you go and you file for to be, be, become a candidate. And then you have to put together a campaign staff and you campaign for two weeks straight. Okay. And then at the end of campaigning, the entire student body will vote. Yeah. And I want to say that we had about 18,000 votes cast. Wow. Um. And so it's a very unique experience. The bottom line is, is that when I was coming up on the end of my sophomore year, I ran. I put together yeah. a campaign and I ran to become a junior yell leader and we lost. We came up short. Yeah. No. It, it's, there's, a, there's a lot that I can go into about this, but uh, there was a ton of family influence, friend influence, um, personal influence to get to that point. Sure. And the bottom line was, was... I have tremendous amount of respect for anybody who jumps in and runs for any sort of office. Yeah. Um, if you can put yourself out there and you're open for criticism. Yeah. You know, in my book, you're already a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't care what the results is. Yeah. Because a lot of people can't get to that point. Oh, sure. that would be cool to do that, but they can't get to the point where they put themselves out there. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just I'm I'm reflecting back on the other guys who ran uh, for student body president or for yell leader. There was yeah. a tremendous amount of folks um, that that put themselves out there, and I, I really enjoyed getting to know those people. That's cool. Um, and so yeah, uh, we put together a campaign staff, and essentially we held signs around campus. And then you speak to on-campus organizations during the day. And then at night, you go and you speak to everybody else that's meeting. So sororities, fraternities, um, you know, th- there's a list of... The chess yeah. club, yeah, yeah, all those clubs. <laughs> yeah. there, there's hundreds of them. And you go and you try to tackle as many of those as you possibly can and get in front of them and say, hey, look, I need your vote and here's why. Yeah. And when um, we ran a really good campaign, yeah. I thought. It essentially came up short. And I remember... Uh, on the results night and they announced the results and my name wasn't called it wasn't a feeling of oh man I'm crushed and defeated and I'm just gonna go hide in a hole 
it was literally like, hey, Lord, if you want this to happen, fantastic. If you don't, fantastic. Yeah. But um, the feeling that I had when my name was not called was, let's go, round two. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like immediately. Immediately. Wow, and that's cool. So it, 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 was, it was awesome. Um, fast forward into junior year, um, we certainly gained the advantage from the year previously for name recognition on campus yeah, sure. and through that campaign and just kind of a built-in campaign staff. And I would say that that dialed up to like a thousand yeah, all dude. of a sudden. And uh, we had a really, really, really good, strong core campaign team. And when I campaigned my junior year for the senior spot, so yep. typically what happens is the two jun- whoever the two juniors are that get elected, they typically get reelected. Right. And there's three seniors. So that leaves one senior spot to serve one year. That's intimidating. So, yep, that is the third senior spot. That's <laughs> what I was running for. And, um, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that it was anything that I did. It, mm. I had a tremendous amount of support from family and friends. Just, it was unbelievable to see the amount of people that were helping out. And That's so cool. as much as I'd like to say, hey, like I was the leader, I've always viewed it as like the people who voted for me and helped, like, like they won. Yeah, that's cool. And um, so, yeah, we campaigned and we had a phenomenal campaign and we won. And so um, that was a door that was opened and I served in, so one year as a senior and um, got to go all over Texas, all over the U.S. I went to uh, the Middle East. We, A&M has a campus over there and they send the elevator over there like every three years and got to go over there and talk what? to um, Middle Eastern students and what was crazy about that was like I the furthest I had been out of the country was to Mexico <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um, so they're like hey man do you want to go to Doha Cutter and I'm like yeah let's go so I flew I think it's like 16 hours to get over there and they said hey man when you get over there, you're going to have jet lag. I didn't have a clue what jet lag was. Sure. I thought that was a fancy term. You're right. You're I'm a yellow I'm elite. I'll be fine. It's like jet lag. Is that like first class? Like what is, what is jet lag? It's this jet lag thing. <laughs> and uh, so we, I get over there and land in the middle of the night, and it was a crazy story. My driver didn't show up, so I took a chance on a driver that I didn't know, and I, it, it was a crazy deal. <laughs> I'm, I, so made it to the hotel, and I remember the next morning waking up, coordinating with the driver that I was supposed to be with and he took me to the A&M campus and immediately jet lag set in and it like hit me like a, <laughs> a, a like a, a ton of bricks a hundred percent I was like I can't even function man I'm like talking <laughs> in slow motion it's crazy <laughs> and so but here's the deal uh those students over there I, when they graduated I think the average age was like either 16 or 17 oh, as a no graduating way. senior and they all knew at least four languages I was blown away at those kids yeah. over there. it was awesome that's cool. And so, yeah, while a lot of them will never be able to come to College Station, Texas, um, my role was to go over there and say, hey, you know, I'm coming from College Station. Yeah. You know, here's the traditions. They were writing them on Arabic on the whiteboard. And so cool. Yeah. It, it was super, a super, super cool experience. Um, obviously, we talked about game day, but, um, you know, ultimately, I, I was just, like, daily uh, reminded of, like, what an amazing opportunity that the Lord put in front of me to be able to try to yeah. impact so many people that I interact with. And I tried to use that position really for his glory. And yeah. um, it was awesome. It was fun. Dude, That's cool. One of the things that really stuck out to me during that time was we had, we had been boys for a long time and 
when we like after you got elected, we'd walk into restaurants that we'd been to a hundred times. I specifically remember us walking in into Ninfa's for a Ninfa Rita or something, and uh, we walked in and people kind of looked, and then they did like this like double take, and all of a sudden the whole restaurant did a double take when you walked in the room, and because he's hit, a yell leader, yeah, and it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, because I mean you think about it, a school. Of 50,000 people, 18,000 people voted for you. That's that's a ton of people that know your name, know your face. And I think part of it too is the yell leader position is the most recognizable position or most rec- yeah, recognizable position. Like I guarantee you more students could point out a yell leader out of a crowd than the president of the university. Oh, sure. 100%. And so we just walk into restaurants like we've been doing for years and like the whole room stops and like stares at Reagan or, or, or we're like walking down the street and someone stops you and is like, Oh dude, can I get like a photo? And I remember thinking, dude, you're, you're a low key celebrity. This is <laughs> crazy. What was that like for you? Was that, was that tough to keep that in check? Cause knowing me and my own personality and granted part of this was I was trying to do this whole singer song writer thing. So I craved a level of like fame and notoriety was it tough to stay humble and to stay grounded in the midst of an entire university looking at you and saying, oh, that's Reagan Thompson. I know who he is. Because that's like the ultimate kind of status of that stage in life. Man, <clears throat> that's a really good question. Um, I think the short answer is no. And because, yes, the, I mean, yes, at times it was like, hey, the, the entire, um, you know, the entire university is looking at you. But I think from my upbringing, um, so, so here's a short answer, is that I didn't, because of the way that I was brought up, mm, and yeah. seeing my dad as a county judge for 28 years, sure. and the spotlight that he was in, and the constant public scrutiny, and the way that he would talk, and act, and walk, and he carried himself. That's cool. You know, I grew up seeing that. Yeah, I grew up seeing my uncle, who was elected yell leader, and the way that he talked about his memories and what that meant to him. So, when I when I was elected, um, you know, I took that with such a huge uh, weight. Like I felt a weight of responsibility to uphold that position. Yeah, I never once thought like, "Hey, look at me! I'm this big guy pounding my chest." Um, I'm getting all this attention. It was, I didn't, I didn't once feel that way. It, and, you know, for me, the year that I had was the perfect amount of time. Yeah. I think that there are people who get in that position, much like any elected position that can't handle it once mm. they get in there. They sure. can't handle the spotlight. They can't yeah. handle the notoriety. They can't handle people looking at them. But for me to answer your question, I was just so grateful to be there yeah, and yeah. also to be like defeated the year before and then get elected. I yep. literally just looked at it like, oh my gosh, every single day that I wake up and get to do this is a dream come true. Mm. Yeah. And I, I just felt the weight of that position and I wanted to do the best that I possibly could. Yeah. And so that's what I was thinking about. Not, hey, look at all these people who want to take a picture with me. Yeah, uh, Totally. I think even in how you articulate that, and you said this a minute ago when you, when Josh first set up the original question about yell leader of like, you saw the leadership of that role of like, oh, I'm an, I'm an ambassador to A&M. And I think what makes a good leader in any setting, whether it's something like that, or even if it is an elected office, or even if it's 
I mean, I think you see that in cultural leaders and ministry leaders. Like what makes a good leader isn't, oh, I have this strong personality or I have this gift mix or I have these qualifications. It's you have the character to be a leader and understand like, oh, my life is not my own. And as cheesy as it sounds, even putting on like the role of yell leader of like, oh, X, Y, and Z is why I'm here, not for my name or for, for these other things. It's like, oh, I'm here to serve the people that like got me here. 100%. And I think that's the key to good leadership in, in any setting. And so it's cool how you articulated that. And to your point, you got a front row seat to somebody doing it really well your whole life, yeah. which is fascinating. I think you can like check the stats, like people that get in elected office or do anything of kind of notoriety usually it's in their family line and it's not because it's like nepotism it's because they had a front row seat to watch someone do it and so much of what makes a good leader is understanding oh it's not these factors it's literally the character with which i step up to the plate in it and that's fascinating to me because so time when leaders fail it's not because they're not gifted it's because they don't understand the role yeah like the weight of the role or how to carry the weight rightly man i I love that you say that and again i'll point back to my upbringing I was very close with both my granddads and grandmas, but very close with my dad, still am to this day. And he constantly reminded me by watching him that, hey, he was not up there for 28 years in an elected position to, to, to be able to have a position of power. It was He was elected by the people, and he wanted to serve to do better by his community. Yeah. And he carried that for 28 years. Yeah. And I, may, I may have my years off, but it's, it's around 28 years. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, my granddad was the same way. So his dad and um, both my granddads served in World War II Mm. and both were like, you're, you're just um, family cornerstones. And they, um, every action that they took around the family and their daily choices that they made obviously were reflected on the family, but it was amazing to watch how they carried themselves and led that's and cool. so that's what I grew up watching. And it was just woven into my DNA through that. And I, I mean, I, I, like, I'm just so grateful to be able to see that. That's yeah. cool. So fun question. What's your favorite memory as a yell leader? Because I'm not an Aggie. So, and a lot of people that listen to this yeah, aren't going to be Aggie. Yeah. So like I'm sitting here, but I've, <coughs> I've been to one, don't be mad at me. I've been to one A&M game. And it's when A and M. We'd be mad at you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I've only been to one, so like limited experience. I've been to zero Mississippi State <laughs> games, so. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I went and watched the first year I lived. Maybe it was the second year. My first or second year in Texas, A and M and State were playing. This was right when A and M had switched into the SEC, and y'all were playing Mississippi State at home for y'all. And so I drove down to College Station with a friend of mine who also graduated from Mississippi State. And we sat in the visitor section, which is not a popular place. <laughs> and we were winning, which was also uh, not good. Were you on the third deck or where were you at? We were right behind uh, the end zone, like okay. low deck. Okay. We had gotten cool. really good tickets. We were friends with a guy that had season passes through Mississippi State and he hooked us up. So we had great seats. And there was a yell leader, like, because we were like right next to the student section. And y'all were down, I think, like two touchdowns. And it's like third quarter at this point. 
And the Yale leader, I was like, he's working harder than anyone on the field. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, I was like, this poor guy. And literally, running around. literally as a fan of the team that's two touchdowns up, I yeah. was like, we are going to lose this game because of that dude. Yeah. And I was convinced. And like y'all student section, y'all's whole stadium is very intimidating. Yeah. But also y'all's fan base is the friendliest. Mm. Like literally, I had the best experience <clears throat> at the A&M game. And I didn't even know what a yell leader was, but I was like, this dude in white is in charge and <laughs> everyone in the stadium, including me as a visitor, knows it. Man. And I was blown away. Yeah. And y'all came back and we ended up winning, Mississippi State did, but y'all came back within like a field goal and I swear it had nothing to do with what was going on <laughs> on the field. It had everything to do with the yell leader. I was blown away. Yeah, well, I, it's neat to hear. I love hearing um, if you did not go to A&M and you go to a game at Kyle Field or you see A&M play somewhere and the Yellators are there, Yeah, I love to hear people's perspective because, number one, it's kind of like, what in the world? They're dressing all white. <laughs> yeah. They're doing these crazy motions and everybody's like, like yelling well, at, first, at the I same time. I didn't know time. there were multiple ones and I was like, is this dude just deranged? And he like got this seat. I was like, I don't know who that is, <laughs> yeah. but he's on a mission. I had no idea. So A&M, obviously, home of the 12th man, right? And mm. you you may know what the 12th man is, E. King Gill. The bottom line is... The 12th is, man showed up on Saturday. They did show up on Saturday. <laughs> they Beat really Alabama. did. We, we have to talk about that before this is over. Yeah. Yep. Beat the number one team in the nation. <laughs> so E. King Gill was in the stands. Okay. Way back in the day. And when his foot, when the football team was playing, they had several injuries. Okay. And E. King Gill was called down out of the stands to come and suit up and stand alongside his team to be ready to play. E. King Gill never played, but he stood there ready, right? Yeah. And so that's where the 12th man came from. So okay. literally, if you're an Aggie, you believe that you affect the game. And we do sure. affect the game. Yeah. I mean, you already said it. You go to Kyle <laughs> Field, it's an electric atmosphere. You yeah, don't sit down the entire game. Crazy. Yeah. And so as the 12th man, that's your role. So my favorite memory, going back to your question, um, it, you know, it would probably be the first midnight yell practice that we walked into okay. and seeing the entire three decks of Caulfield completely full and just the energy that you feel from people who have a passion to be there and want to be there. And again, the weight of the role that I was carrying and the privilege it was to be able to serve the student body. Yeah. And really just be kind of the face of A&M. I was just so um, grateful for that. That's and cool. And it just all kind of came to a head. And I think uh, election night also, like when I was elected, that was, a, that was one of my favorite memories because there were so many people who helped me get to that position. Yeah. That, um, you know, I, I wanted them to feel like they won as well. That's cool. Yep. That's neat. Didn't uh, didn't the tech fans throw batteries at you? Not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually had some buddies that went to tech, and I actually walked up into the stands and saw them, like right through the student section. Yeah. And they were like, come on, man, come on up here. And like it was like the waves Like parted. in your yell leader. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. during the game, yeah. And <laughs> they were high-fiving and, hey, what's up? And I gave my buddies a hug, you know. Yeah. They all looked at me like I was crazy. And they went back down on the field, but I never, I, ne I never did have a battery throw at me. Um, there certainly are some hostile environments <laughs> uh, th that you get some shade thrown at you, but um, you got to have thick skin. Yeah. And same thing campaigning. I mean, there's going to be people who don't yeah. like you, yeah. you know, <clears throat> and you can choose, you know, for that to affect you or you can't. So. Yeah. So a question that someone actually asked me the other day, and I had no actual correct answer for him, is uh, there was a video going around on 
Twitter of a midnight yell and the guy's telling his like story. Right. And the guy's like, why do y'all do that weird thing with your legs and your arms? And because I had always been an Aggie, I never really thought twice about it. But do you know why y'all tell stories the way you do? Man, that's a really good question. I actually don't. Uh, (laughs) What what I'll point back to is that it was a tradition some some time years ago and the next group did it and the next group did it. And so it just stuck. Yeah. But, um, you know, originally when A&M was an all-male, all-military school, um, there, there was a, there were some guys that went underneath the stadium and they found some janitor outfits and they wore those and they came back out onto the, the track and then they led their peers in a series of yells that ended up affecting the game. And that's kind of where the yellers were born. So, so, so oh, that's wow. why y'all wear the white uniforms because they're like a throwback to like the janitor outfits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. The more, you know, the more, you know, okay. One last yell bitter question. Another thing about being in that kind of circle, if you will, is that there's a, a long line of really successful yell leaders in the past, and you have access to all types of people, networking, all that stuff. What was the cool, or who was the coolest person that you got to meet as a part of that season? Mm, that's a really good question. I, you know, what, what I would what I would say is that I enjoyed meeting. Everybody, even somebody who wasn't in a position of some sort of influence or power or something. Sure. I like literally anybody that would that we got to interact with. I enjoyed interacting with them. Such a politician. But um, <laughs> but if you talk about people who had a position of influence, I think that there was a number of um, board of regent mm. folks who I became close with that had a tremendous career. Um, both civically and in the business world, and to watch how they carry themselves, and 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 just serve literally, like literally, if you're in that position, you're serving your university, and it's not by accident that you got there, and to watch how they handled themselves was really neat. But um, you know, um, got to meet Governor Perry a couple times. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, really enjoyed that. Um, it was pretty neat when before they renovated Kyle Field. We would change um, on a on a specific side in a locker room, uh-huh. and um, during the home games. So when the corps marching in, um, essentially right after marching, we would go into the locker room, and we would change. And next door was President Bush. <laughs> no way. And he was sitting here just like I was with his legs crossed yeah. and just, just chilling. hanging out. Yeah. And I was kind of just doing my thing and, you know, I was excited and I opened the door next to us and there he was. He was sitting right there and he was all by himself. And we had like 45 minutes. It's a minutes. matter of national security. Yeah. I'm, we're like, I'm, we're I'm, at A&M. He's fine. <laughs> and, you know, his presidential library is there. Right. Yep. Um, and so I just pulled up a chair and started talking to him. No, you didn't. And it was just like me and you were talking. How That's are you doing? Awesome. Where are you from? What have you been up to? Tell me your story. And I was asking him the same thing. How are you, sir? Um, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I would see him. I think I saw him three or four home games. Same chair, same room. And N- we, No. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
he, he would say, oh, well, I just got back from the ranch and I was shooting hogs from a helicopter and the Secret <laughs> Service wanted to get me down early because they were kind of too afraid I was up in the air too long. And But yeah, life's good, man. You know, <laughs> how's the family? We've all got problems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, so that was really, really neat. And that I, is neat. I, you know, again, I, I was just living in a dream. Like, man, yeah. I'm so grateful to be here yeah. and to be able to talk with him. That's cool. Yep. That That was cool, like, thinking back back about that like how often president bush was around like remember i was at the rec one time with yeah Ky- that's, with, that's with blowing a, my mind with kyle clonch i was on like a tr- on like a treadmill and i see this guy in the corner and he's wearing a suit and i was like that's weird why is the guy wearing a suit in the rec and then he turns his head and he has a little earpiece i was like oh that's secret service and i was like oh president bush is it's somewhere, in the wreck. It's somewhere in the wreck. <laughs> and I'm like looking around and then I look down and he's legitimately, there's a stationary bike right in front of me and he's on the stationary bike just getting it <laughs> at like, I don't know what, Wait. 80 years old? Why was he on y'all's campus so much? Because his presidential library is there. Well, sh- and, well and, sure. And he'd go to like almost all the home games he could make. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then I look over and Barbara Bush, who's also a queen, a queen and a queen. like Probably what late eighties? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like seemed very elderly. She was <laughs> she was over in the corner doing apps, and I was like, No, she I was, was like, not. Get it, Barbara Bush. <laughs> Get it over there, Barbara. That's awesome. And so yeah, well into their uh, their <laughs> well into their lives. Yeah, they're they're just they busting were just it at doing the rec work center. at the rec. You know, and they were just so nice. Mm-hmm. That's the other um, uh, Secretary of Defense Gates. Oh yeah. So. Uh, yep. Got to talk to him a couple times, and he was a phenomenal guy. He'd walk around campus at night with a cigar, you, and um, our uh, and then the president after him was President Lofton, who basically negotiated the deal to get us into the SEC. He'd always wear a bow tie. Okay, um, he looked like the Monopoly man. I love President Lofton. I love him. Okay, and again, I was just fortunate to be able to interact with him in several different settings where it's not necessarily on stage. And got to see like it was way more natural. Yes, and the way that he carried himself, and and the way that he looked at his role as president was awesome. And so he 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 was fascinating. Uh, And so yeah, I mean, we messaged the other day. That's awesome. Yeah, that's neat. You know what's expensive? Cologne. But you know what's even more expensive? not smelling your best but don't worry because guy fox is the solution the team at guy fox pride themselves on quality affordability and convenience so dudes can smell great without the hassle the best way to do it is is to go to guyfox.com and pick yourself up a starter kit it comes with six uh kind of signature scents that you can test out and then once you find your unique scent they'll send you a full bottle of that scent at no extra cost it's incredible. And the best part is that if you go to GuyFox, G-U-Y-F-O-X dot com and use code nowhere close, you get 15% off your starter kit. So again, that is GuyFox.com and use code nowhere close to get 15% off a starter kit. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit. You graduate college. Um, you worked corporate for a long time you did sales for johnson and johnson mm-hmm. and then recently you decided to leave that life behind and kind of branch out on your own and do your own thing um 
I have so much respect for anybody that will leave a, a stable career to do something entrepreneurial. Walk us through what that whole process was like. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole lot. But the bottom line was, you know, so going back to my upbringing, I was fortunate to see my dad's dad, who mm-hmm. served in World War II, walked to Stephenville with like 20 bucks in his pocket, ended up starting three successful companies in town, and just served his entire life. I grew up um, working alongside him almost every weekend. And I'm telling you, he could outwork all three of us put together at the age of 85. Yeah. It was yeah. unbelievable. Um, he had that entrepreneur drive. My dad, you know, he started his own company and he was an entrepreneur. My uncle's an entrepreneur, my cousins. And so I was fortunate to grow up to, to see and interact with family members who own their own business. And I understood, you know, the sacrifice that that took and what that looked like. It's not a, it's not a dream world. Mm -mm. It's very, it's very difficult. And, um, so I say that because, you know, I like at one point uh, during a summer in high school, I started my own um, lawn care company. Okay, oh, nice. yeah. classic. Yeah, like I wanted to go mow lawns. I enjoyed it, but it it was like the freedom of me doing my own thing. Yeah. When my siblings were going to go work at Oasis, which is my dad's oil change lube center that he has run for many many years, um, I wanted to go to a ranch and do ranch work. Mm. and build fence and shred and be on the tractor. I wanted to go do my own thing. So I always had this like pull to do entrepreneur-esque things. Sure. But when I graduated, I didn't know what that looked like. And I knew that I wanted to get some corporate experience. And so when I graduated, I hopped into sales and eventually got over to Johnson & Johnson doing medical device sales. And um, uh, that looked like a couple different areas. um, But the last kind of stint I had was in the OR. Scrubbing wow. in with the surgeons, um, looking at ortho neurovascular surgeries, and yep. and like literally scrubbing in and, and helping the surgeons, which was extremely intense. Also, yeah. can we just pause for a second? When you watch like medical shows, right, <laughs> on like Grey's Anatomy, it's really intense in there. <laughs> Something they don't show is that Reagan Thompson is in the room, scrubbed in, <laughs> giving the surgeon advice on how to use the products that he's right. using. Like that's crazy to me that. Like in some of these big surgeries, there's like a sales rep in the Being room. Be like, hey, you should use my product because it's going to save this guy's life. Right. And well, here's how. Or like teaching them how to use it in well, the room, right? Yeah. Typically what happens is like they already know that they're using your product. Like you wouldn't be in the right. room otherwise. So right. you're not really selling in the OR. You're, you're, you're more there for an assisting type of a role. Typically the selling happens way beforehand with sure. their staff and the surgeon and the, and the buy-in. And you do a lot of educating with the staff and the surgeon. And typically the surgeon knows your apparatus and how to use it and why they want to use it. And then the case that's scheduled and your product's going to be used, your number's called up and you got to be there, whether that's, you know, three in the morning, whether that's at midnight, yeah. or whether that's two in the afternoon. And so, yes, you, again, take on this uh, very weighty role of you yeah. have to know what's going on. Like yeah. when they um, when they bring a patient in there, and they roll them over on the table and that patient goes out and it's go time and the surgeon makes a cut and then looks at you and says, Hey man, what do you suggest now? Or what do you think <laughs> about this? If you don't know your stuff, oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, That's imagine that. Mind, yeah. yeah. So you have to know your stuff. Um, 
that was a wonderful experience to be able to That's work cool. for Johnson and Johnson and see how a really big company um, excels at uh, really every area that you can possibly excel mm. in. Yeah. But when I was over there, the more that I was there and the more that my career advanced into leadership roles, ultimately I felt a sense of unhappiness mm. and really started to dive into that and say, man, wh- like I've got such a good job and a good area and really a good path forward, but sure. why am I unhappy? Mm. And so spent a lot of time praying and thinking about that. And ultimately what it was, was that entrepreneur pool. And I felt like I was just a number on a spreadsheet Mm. and I didn't control my own destiny. And, um, essentially I was putting in this work for somebody else. Yeah. And that drove me bonkers. I'm not saying, (laughs) I'm not saying that a W2 position is a bad position to be in. Like it's not, I, I absolutely could have made an entire career out of that. The way that I'm made personally, uh, drove me, just crazy. Sure. And so my wife, Lindsay, um, is an absolute angel. We met at AM. Um, we didn't start dating until she graduated and I graduated, but she absolutely was supportive of me diving off into that role. That's cool. And so we had really thought about it a lot. Hey, do we leave this position and go start something? And the answer ultimately was yes. And so, again, at the time, I had looked at really under the hood at lots of different businesses to either purchase or partner up with and or go start, but ended up going with a company that serviced multifamily units, um, across the country doing affordable, uh, uh, occupied rehab. And when COVID hit, um, it really did a number on that business because obviously if the tenants can't go to work, then the GC and the developer can't get in there and turn the unit, which ultimately kills the contract. And so that company, went under Mm. and here I was I made the move to hop out of J&J thinking that this scenario was going to be a certain way yep and it did not turn out the way that I wanted to right Mm. and so pivoted from there and went and worked for a family office uh, out of Old Parkland in Dallas and um, helped them run business development um, had some really really neat relationships with some guys over there and got to see how kind of the best of the best operate and how they're stacking capital and how they're vertically integrating their business. And ultimately, again, if we're talking about entrepreneurship, like at that time I had a pretty good idea. I wanted to hop into real estate development, but I wasn't all the way there. So I took that opportunity to learn from some really good operators before I hopped out into my own space. And so ultimately ended up leaving that family office, uh, a mutual parting of ways in a very good way to start real estate development. And, um, so that's where we're at now. And that's yeah. all happened since COVID. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a whirlwind. Well, when you said that, you're like, yeah, it, it tanked during COVID. I'm like, wait a second. COVID was not that long ago. Well, and le- you've now done another job, built connections, learned, and then jumped into another opportunity. Yeah. And let me brag on Lindsay. <laughs> um, when, you know, you, like she, uh, 100% is an angel. Like I'm convinced <laughs> she's an angel, 100%. <laughs> to be able to follow me away down this crazy path of sure. two turns that didn't work out the way that we wanted to, to basically live on peanuts in Stephenville to be able to start this. Yeah. Uh, sh- sh- I-, I like to describe it this way. Um, when Before we left Houston to go down the, this, this path and this journey, um, there was some extreme... Uh, weighty decisions and some even dreams I was having 
that were intense. Mm. And it was a tough period to work through um, mentally to get to the point to where we're at now. And I, you know, it, it would be easy for Lindsay to say, Hey man, this is the mess that you made. I'll <laughs> right. be over here on the sidelines. Uh, you go figure it out. But she hopped into the Valley with me. She put on her armor and picked up her sword and fought out of that Valley with me. That's cool. And 100%, I would not be here without Lindsay. Yeah. 100%. Um, she's an angel. She's my best friend and she's extremely supportive. And I'll tell anybody that's listening that wants to go down the entrepreneur path, if they're married and their wife's not on board, there's no point. You can't do it. <laughs> there's no point. Yeah, I mean, you it, can't. It, it, there's no point um, because it's it's a gut check. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's a difference if you are handed a business by a family member, debt-free, here you go, you run this thing, I've already right. built it, just don't mess it up. To start right. something, though? Versus starting from scratch. You essentially have to dig yourself out of a hole. 100%. Because, like, you've got to get either you've got to invest or someone has to invest in you. And then you've got to build it up and earn that back and then build on that. 100%. That's crazy. So, yeah, I have started a real estate development company. And it's it's a capital group that will ultimately have different channels attached to it. But the first phase of this is real estate development. And so that looks like raw land, commercial land, residential land. Which is a big investment. It's a big investment. There's 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 a there's a big dollar um amount tied to that um <laughs> but what i enjoy about it is that you get to put together hundreds of pieces yep to ultimately get to the point where you close and you execute on a building or a piece of land and you're providing either a, a piece of land for somebody to live on or work or, or or play on and ultimately i love that that yeah two years prior somebody's working on this to where the general public can go out and enjoy that that's cool yep and you got to have the vision and the patience to wait it out. Totally. That's crazy. Are you allowed to talk about some of the things that you're developing? <sighs> I knew that was going to come up. Uh, <laughs> I can't, it's okay if you're not. I can't yet. Um, we'll have him back on. Yeah, yeah. I can't we'll back on and be like, he did that. I can't yet, but yeah, I'd love to come back on and talk about it because again, I like, I can't take credit for this. That's the Lord opening up doors yeah. and totally. I can, I can. I can say with 100% confidence, like that's nothing that I did. Those doors were opened. That's cool. And, but, you know, and, and it's always fascinating to me, like when I go stay at a hotel or I go to a Chipotle or I go to a new housing development, I've always thought like, like who designed this and why? Where did the money yeah. come from? What was the developer like? Were they given um, a big bundle of financing or did they have to go raise it? Why did they choose this area? Why did the building look the way that it is? Right. How did they put the team together? Why is together? it facing the street this way? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's just fascinating to me where anywhere you're living or working or going for entertainment, somebody's developed that out. Yeah. And um, I want to go down that path and ultimately provide really a unique experience for the end user. Yeah. Totally. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. To back up a little, since you can't talk about some of the projects, what, how do you, how did you like come out of, you left a stable job, you kind of lose out on your first venture and then you convince your wife and you're like, Hey, we're going to go do this. And she buys in how, cause I just in meeting you, we've been talking for what less than an hour. Yeah. And I feel like two things that strike me about you. One, you're super grateful and you're quick to give credit to other people, which is really cool. But two, and I could be wrong. So tell me if I am, I bet you're your own worst critic. Oh, totally. I put more <laughs> pressure on myself than yeah, anybody. 
Yeah. 100% I do. So uh, what's that like mentally and emotionally, especially as like a husband and a father too, to be like, oh shoot, like we cashed out on this. Man, um, it is on my knees praying. Yeah. 100%. Um, I'll, let me read two verses uh, that I've got that I read daily. The first comes from Psalms 27. And really it's Psalms 27, 1 through 14. But the last two verses are this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Um, the second verse is Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. And this is the verse that uh, it reads. I remember my affliction and my wondering the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So to answer your question, those two verses highlight um, what I'm clinging to. And both those verses um, really press into taking heart, being strong, waiting for the Lord. In entrepreneurship, again, if you go off and you're not handed a business, there are things that you're going to get hit in the face with. And I am a big believer in if you can just hang in there. Yeah. And you can keep fighting and you can keep going and you can keep clinging to the reason why you're there, something's going to break loose, something's going to happen. Totally. And it may not look like what you thought it was. And sure. it may take way longer than you thought, but like have hope. Yeah. And so to answer your question, um, you know, it's really diving into a lot of prayer. Yeah. Um, it's clinging to family and friends. I've called Josh numerous times (laughs) saying, Hey man, like here's a situation I'm going through. What do you think? I need prayer in this area, but also it's sharing with Lindsay. Yeah. Hey, here's what's going on. And uh, now she's kind of going down an entrepreneur path, and she's looking at starting her own jewelry line. Oh, no way. Good which is going to be super cool. Yeah, so we're sitting there at night, like, bouncing ideas off of each other. But um, That's fun. Yeah, she's a trooper. That's cool. Dude, yep. that's, that's huge, man. Because, I mean, I can imagine. And, you know, we've, we've walked together through this for, like, a long time. But, like, you were killing it in sales. Like, if you can't tell. Yeah, that's a great field to be in. Ray can sell anything that he could ever want to sell. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, to anyone. <laughs> to anyone. Anything to anyone. Uh, but I can imagine that there there was a big feeling of this is a risk. You know, we're leaving something that you've proven that you're good at to do something that you haven't proven to be good at. And anyway, but yeah, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean. I- Again, anybody listening who wants to chat through their journey, I'd love to help encourage them. And, and I'm no expert, but I can certainly help um, dissect maybe some ways it could help them. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, th- there's so many people who say, man, I wish I would have started my own company or I wish I would have uh, um, I I would have acted on that feeling that I had years ago. Mm. There was a number of folks at J&J that I knew that had very successful careers that said, man, I'm just... I've literally just um, threw that uh, feeling in my head that I could be doing something else. I've just threw it out the window and I didn't even open it up again and I kind of settled. Mm. Mm. And I'm not really a person to settle. And ultimately, if you make that choice, you have to be ready for an extreme amount of adversity because it's not going to come easy. And I think you have to be willing to jump in the arena. Mm. And 
you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to go start my own company or I think I could do that. And it's another thing to do it, especially yeah. with kids on the line. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, w- one quote that I love by Theodore Roosevelt is the man in the arena. Yeah. Are mm-hmm. you all familiar with that? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, what I love about that is he talks about how it's not the critic who counts, who points out how the strong man stumbles. It's the man who's actually in the arena right. whose yep. face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And that's what it all boils down to. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, are you willing to jump in the arena and take a risk? And it's extremely weighty, but it's also extremely rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And there is no easy path. Yeah. <laughs> One more question before we ask you some fun, random questions, if that's cool. Uh, You've lived a lot of life thus far, and I'm excited to see what like the next, you know, part of your journey looks like. When you think about the next ten to twenty years of your life, what do you hope uh, your story is over the next decade or so? Man, that's a good question too. I I I I would love to be in a position to where I can impact a lot of lives mm. uh, for the better and for the kingdom, and I would love to get in a place to be able to reach and affect several lives, families, men, women, children, um, those in need. Um, you know, a goal of mine that I'd love to do one day is buy a ranch. And with that ranch, I want to build a facility out there and, and have, you know, a number of folks that could use it, whether that's, you know, ladies who were abused, whether it's kid who need a time away just to kind of reflect and get out of the environment that they're in. Mm. Maybe that's uh, a military individual who's coming back that needs some time to decompress. Mm. But like, yeah. I want to use that place uh, to be able to serve others, and ultimately, <coughs> through real estate development, I just I want you know there's so much good in the world. If you turn on the TV and look at the media, it's it, as we know, like it's yeah. just all negative. <coughs> totally. I'm a big believer that there's more positive than negative. Yeah. But if you turn on the TV, you don't see that. So yeah. I want to be a part of the positive. And help as many people as I possibly yeah. can. Dude, that's awesome. Would yep. you ever go into politics? That's a really good question. I've thought about it at this point, no, because okay. if if I did, I would want to commit to that fully. And right. that would be our life. And yeah. Lindsay and the kids would be drugged through the spotlight. Yeah. And you kind of have to like make that a career. And there's so many goals that I've got for myself sure. that I want to accomplish that I just, at this point, I would be just putting those on the shelf. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I do, though, have a feeling to be able to serve yeah. in some sort of capacity. And ultimately, like, I love the story of Gideon in the Bible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where, you know, Gideon's in there thrashing wheat, yeah. and Angel appears to him and says, hey, bro, like, your time is now, yeah. and I, I, we need you to do some work. <laughs> and I love Gideon's response. He's like, hey, man, like, uh, I need you to show me that it's really like <coughs> me, this guy, like you really want me to do it. Yeah. yeah. And he takes, you know, the, the, the bag that he's using the burlap sack, I think. And, and he says, okay, like if you for sure want me to go and, and lead this army of people to drive this other army out of the, the, the lands, what I want you to do is basically make this like in the morning when I wake up, I want you to make the burlap sack full of dew and all yeah. the area around there, no dew. Yeah. So he wakes up and sure enough, like he goes out to the burlap sack and he can wring the the water out of there into a bowl and all the area around this burlap sack is completely dry. Yeah. And if, and the next morning he says, okay, like do it, do it again, but this time do it opposite. 
mm. I want you to make the burlap sack dry and all the area around there filled with dew. Yeah. And he wakes up and that's what it is. And he says, okay, like, let's ride. And ultimately, the Lord ends up using Gideon right. to yeah. drive out this army with ultimately 300 guys. And yeah. I love that because Gideon steps up and says, here I am, send me. Like, I'm willing to go. Yeah. And so my journey to get to this point I relate so much to that of like, yeah. here I am, like send me along this journey of an uncharted path. Yeah. I want to affect your kingdom positively. Like, and I'm willing to sign up for that. Yeah. Let's go. Um, but if you like, what, I love that example and that story because like, if you've spent any time in the mornings walking or running or doing anything and there's been dew on the ground, yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> and if you walk through it, you clearly see the footprints. Yeah, like yeah. it's not know. like somebody just yep. threw the burlap sack out there and was like, Hey man, right. we got to get in. It's like, no dude, there's no way around it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so true. Um, and so I just relate to him so much. Yeah. That's dude, cool. That's huge, man. You know, most of us are nowhere close to famous, but it sure feels good when the people that love us most make us feel like a big deal. And a great way to do that is with a gift from Our Spare Change. Our Spare Change creates custom handcrafted jewelry that's created to specifically tell stories. You could get a special date or a meaningful phrase engraved on their stylish cuffs or even personalize it with a name. And now that it's wedding season, I can't help but think what a perfect gift that would make for a bridal party or a groom or a bride. I think Our Spare Change would be the perfect addition to the wedding season. But they've also got cute earrings and rings. And for the guys in your life, they have tie bars, cuffs, bookmarks, and keychains. We love the Southern California-based company and their passion for telling stories. So let Our Spare Change help you and the people in your life share your story by using promo code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off your purchase at OurSpareChange.com. So we typically end with a few random questions. So Brick, you want to start and us off? And this is just journalism at its finest, really. This <laughs> is just interviewing one-on-one. What are some of your oddly specific love languages? And so what we mean by that is like things that are oddly specific to you that make you feel super loved. If I'm sick, I feel like the world's ending and I need <laughs> lots of attendance. <laughs> I want to ring a bell. That's the most stereotypical man thing ever. Totally. Dude, and if Lindsay was here, she'd be falling out of her chair laughing because I get none. I get none. It's like, I'm excited hey, for her to hear this. It's like, it's like, hey, I've got a 102 degree fever back here. And she's like, come on, bro, get up out of bed. Like, we got soccer practice. She's like, so do I. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So that's a big love language. And I think. Um, I think <laughs> probably just time together, you know, yeah. um, like I get way out of whack if I don't get to spend time with Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once we get to spend time together, even if that's putting the kids down and just spending time yeah. together, yeah. It kinda, it's a good reset. Yep. That's yep. cool. Yep. What Dude. a gift. That's what a good would, answer. What would be like a perfect, like if you're sick, right? What's like the perfect thing that Lindsay could do to make you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is like the oh. best. She's going to turn the episode off. She's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Dude, she's birthed three kids. Are you kidding me? Like that. And she's like, where were you? Yeah. And I'm sitting here talking about my journey. Like, that is the hardest job in the world, what she does. Sure. Yeah. To put up with me, you know, to put up with the three kids and her going down an entrepreneur path. Oh, yeah. My, yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, she, what a rock star. she's the hero. 100%. Um, 
To answer your question, Josh, it would be her coming in and <laughs> saying, here's a nice glass of water with a nice meal, and here's a TV I brought in here for you. You go ahead and watch Yellowstone, oh, and just dude. here's an extra pillow. Talk about oddly specific. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, here's some Advil when you're ready, and I'll be right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'll but, be right around the corner. <laughs> but, dude, how, how have we not talked about the fact that we're both into Yellowstone? Dude, Yellowstone's the best. And then did you see the the new uh, series coming out? Yeah, it's, that's they're dad? filming here in town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's they a, filmed in downtown Greenbury, too. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I, that, I love that show, man. Dude, it's unreal. I feel like that's very you, just from this one interaction. It's very me. Um, I would agree. <coughs> and, um, you know, I, I also find it really fascinating that the rest of the country is gravitated towards Yellowstone. Yeah. You know, when you think about what's on TV – that is so unique. Yellowstone's yeah. so unique. It, it involves outdoors. It involves hard work. Obviously, drama and a storyline. And murder. And yeah. And mur- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. But if you think about, you know, if you think about these other episodes, like, it's just so unique. Yeah, And totally. I, I think people are gravitated towards kind of that Western rule totally. atmosphere. And for me, man... Where I connect the best is out in the country on a tractor yeah. or away from billboards and city and lights. Yeah. And if somebody's struggling, uh, I the first thing that I tell them to do, and everybody struggles, right? Yep. If they're living in the city, there's nothing wrong with that. But yep. I tell them, hey, man, you've got to get out. <laughs> get away from all of the buildings, all of the traffic, all the lights, and all the skyscrapers, and all the billboards. And sit there. Make yourself sit there without a phone and soak up nature. That's soak good up advice. the sounds. Look at the clouds. Look at the sky. Look at the yeah. rain. Look at the stars. Be able to see the stars for once. Yeah. And just look at the stars. Because because what you're reminded of is like, holy cow, like all that other stuff on my screen that I was worried about is not yeah. such. Yeah. And, and like, I'm so small. Uh, you're so small. And you also get to <coughs> reflect. Exactly. And you also get to reflect on why am I here? Yeah. Who made me? Yeah. And like, what is all this stuff around me? Who created it? Yeah. You're forced to ask those things to yourself. Totally. And when you don't do that consistently, then you get a lot of craziness. Yeah. You yeah. get these. You get a lot of depression. You get uh, anxiety. Not that you can't get those out in the country, but like if you're continually wrapped up in your phone and your screen, yeah. and totally. you can't go get headspace, you're going to go down that path. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's super... Like overwhelming. We're gonna have him back for part two, and we're just gonna nerd out on like mental <laughs> health and like all the good things, healthy rhythms, getting Man, outside. Like, yes, decompress. Get decompress. away from your phone. Get yeah. off social media. Yeah. You know, like I haven't been on social media since 2010. It's been awesome. <laughs> I get it. I get. I get the communication factor sure. of it. I feel like you're such a connector too. Like that would make sense to me. Yes. Yes. Um. So, anyways. That's neat. Yeah. Right. What is your favorite story to tell? And the way that we usually approach this is, let's say there's like a lull at a party, and someone's like, "Ray, (laughs) you got to bring the party (laughs) back, bro. You got like got to get the people going." What's your favorite story to tell? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I I need to keep it PG. There's a (laughs) lot of R-rated stories I can share. That uh, would not be appropriate if we're just talking around dudes. You know, there's a number of them. <laughs> sure. Well, read the room. <laughs> um, also, my parents listen. So, hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess this is kind of a funny story that uh, this involves um, 
just my dad and I working at a ranch. Okay. And, you know, again, this is not like fall off your chair funny, but it's it was funny to us at the time. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the way that I am, um, I just understood early on kind of the value of hard work. Like yeah. I mm-hmm. always wanted to get out there with a the push mower in 103 degree weather <laughs> and like mow these perfectly straight lines and yep. sweat as much as I possibly could. And still to this day, like, I want to, like, take my gloves off and grab and haul brush with no gloves yeah. and get as sweaty as I possibly can. And that helps me tremendously. Yeah, sure. Um, so Dad and I are out on this ranch, and uh, we're building fence. And so the first step for us building this fence was taking down this old cedar fence. And this cedar fence had been out there for decades, and there are these super tall, thick, hardy cedar posts that are holding up the fence. And it is in the middle of summer and it is probably 102 degrees. And dad went out there to help me. And the way that we were taking this fence down was we would pull the tractor up to the fence post. Mm -hmm. And when dad was not out there, I would pull the tractor up to the fence post. I would put it in park. I would get off with the tractor running and I'd wrap a chain around the base of this cedar post. I'd get back on the tractor. I'd pull the hydraulics up and pull the cedar post out of the ground. Like clean out of the ground. 100%. And it would would have this ginormous hole underneath there. And it would tear down that section of the fence. And I needed to do this for a good like 500 yards. And I had just started. Yeah. And that was the process. And then obviously come back with regular metal T-post. Well... Dad comes out there and he's like, hey man, here's some water. How you doing? I'd love to help you. And I said, yeah, man, why don't you hop on the tractor? I'll get, uh, I'll be the guy with the chain on the bottom and you just basically lift him up out of the ground. It'll go a lot faster. Well, dad gets on the tractor. We're rolling. I'm covered in dirt. I'm drenched. Like my, my shirt is literally like soaked in (laughs) sweat and I'm covered in dirt. So I took my shirt off. And so I just had my jeans on, my boots. Dad was on the tractor. I had this chain and I was wrapping it around the base of these cedar posts and I'd say, all right, man, lift it up, you know, and he'd lift it up and he'd lift it up out of the ground, come back, would go into the next one. I'd put the chain around the, the base and lift it up, go into the next one. And, you know, there's nothing sexy about it, but it's just like, for me, it's sexy. Like, I love it. <laughs> I was smelling yeah. diesel in my nose. We're outside. We're sweating. We're yeah. getting some stuff done, man. Yeah. And so we get about halfway down and we, we had worked into a really good rhythm and it was going pretty quick. <clears throat> and anybody who's worked on a piece of land or around machinery knows that, like, if there's something that could go wrong, like it's going to go wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. Especially with a tractor. 100%. Something's going to break. Well, okay. We, we, we pull up to this post. I put the chain around the base of it. And I say, all right, Dad, like lift it up. So he lifts it up. And as soon as this post comes out of the ground, I'm not kidding you. I bet you 50 of these huge bees come swarming <laughs> out of the ground. I'm not talking honeybees, yellow jackets. No, yeah. They were like the black, furry, uh, like like ginormous bees with yep. this thick gold strap down the back. Like I imagine these bees were there for like untouched for a good five years. <laughs> and then here we are, we've ripped up their home Yeah, and they come out of this hole and they are swarming us. And like, we're out in a field where, and it's like, a sunshiny day. There's nowhere to go. The closest tree is a hundred yards away. And all I see is like a black cloud around us. Like it was that intense. I mean, there must have been a hundred. Oh my gosh, dude! I, it, you could have died. Um, yeah, if I was allergic. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I said, all right, Dad, like, let her rip, man. So he lifts her <laughs> up, and these bees start coming out. And I, I was like, oh, Dad. I was like, Dad, look at these bees, man. <laughs> they're swarming us. Yeah. At this point, we hadn't gotten bit, but they're swarming us. Yeah. And the tractor's still running, and he, the gears are grinding the tractor, which means, like, he can't get it in reverse. Yeah. <clears throat> like, like, we're literally stuck <laughs> in the middle of these bees. Well, I throw down the chain, and my instinct was just to run. To take off. I run 100 yards towards that tree, and I got bit 35 times. No I had my way. shirt off, yeah. and I got bit 35 times. Pa 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 pa. Face, head, back, shoulders, yeah. belly. Like, uh-uh. I was getting lit up. Yeah. Well, when I ran, they all followed me. And Dad was sitting there grinding the gears. He and didn't he get stuck. bit one time. <laughs> so I got underneath the tree, and I had like 35 <laughs> bites on me. And he took out his tobacco, and he and he literally like just started splotched, splotting it on you. And, yeah. and the sting went away instantly. Yeah, that's a good trick. And so I'm a believer in that. Yeah. Wait, you could put tobacco on yes, a bee sting? You, yeah. Well, it. Do you have to chew it first? Well, so he chewed Levi Garrett, which was okay. chewed, not dip. Chew. Okay. And he took it out, and then he put it on each one of my bee yeah. stings, and it took out the sting instantly. I've gotten stung a couple times as a kid, and I was always around rednecks, and so <laughs> somebody always had dip, and you just put it on there instantly, and it, Dude, it it's, it's as if you never got stung. That's it's crazy. Insane. Yeah. Toothpaste does the same thing. Interesting. Um, but, but dip was usually more readily available. <laughs> so Yeah, and like, uh, you know, again, 102, like <clears throat> there's not a whole yeah. lot of water out there. It's intense work. Yeah, that's no joke. And I wasn't dizzy, wasn't phased. Like, here we go. Let's finish the you job. Just went again. We, yeah, we went back out there. And um, so it's not like fall out of your chair funny. All my stories will have to be like whenever I can let loose. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure I'll think of some. I'm not good at thinking of them right now on the spot. That's all, good. That's all right. Yeah. Hi, right, bro. Last question. This show is called Nowhere Close to Famous. However, if you could be famous for one thing, what would that be? Hmm, that's a really good question. Hmm. You know, if I could be famous for one thing, it would be it would be some form of encouragement or forms of encouragement for people who need it. Hmm. Like if I could sit down with them in any situation and just hear their story and be able to like somehow relate to the situation that they're going in and speak to them and encourage them in their situation and I could do that consistently and that would be like what I would be famous for yeah I'd go for that all day long <laughs> that's cool yeah well like, I hope you get to build that ranch one day well, yeah that'd yeah be cool yeah that'd be awesome dude I love it bro thank you so much for giving us your time yeah this was so fun man thank you all for having me Well, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Reagan. And if you did, we have many work coming your way just like it. So make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And another fun way to keep up with us is to give us a follow on Instagram. And you can find us at Nowhere Close to Famous Pod. As always, thanks for tuning in. Stay ordinary.